Hey everybody, you're listening to the Hope in Crisis podcast, where Tim Costello brings you intimate conversations with his inspiring friends from around the world during this difficult time of coronavirus. Our desire is that you would be filled with hope through these conversations to remain faithful and resilient during these unprecedented times. On this episode, Tim talks to Sam Hearn, the 31-year-old mayor from Mornington Peninsula. Sam has made national headlines for raising a people's army of volunteers to respond to the coronavirus in his local council. He has an incredible testimony of faith and is passionate about social justice. In a time where a lot of people were feeling a sense of fear and isolation, we needed to find a way to, to actually bring people together with a sense of solidarity, a sense of commitment and concern for each other that pulled us beyond some of the panic buying and kind of the hoarding type stuff that we saw, which I think was really an example of that individualist kind of lens on a moment of vulnerability. So Sam, you're 31 years of age. You're the mayor of Mornington, pretty young to be a mayor. Uh, Mornington on the... Uh, uh, <clears throat> Mornington Peninsula's uh, 160,000 residents and you've actually now leading in a second crisis. The first was uh, the bushfires and uh, those 1,000 evacuees from Malakuta that you helped. Maybe start with what you guys did in the bushfires. Yeah, I mean, I guess you never know what's going to happen when, you, when you're a mayor, do you, Tim? But, um, yeah, obviously with the kind of national crisis that we were in over, over the summer around the bushfires, there was things going on everywhere and one of the probably starkest kind of images and, and, and kind of most um, cut through stories around that was the, the large number of people sh- um, stranded in Malacuta and we all saw kind of the images of, of that. Um, and when the Navy finally took them off, the first place, the closest place they could bring them to with the deep water port and the facilities to care for those people was was us, the Mornington Peninsula. So we got contacted on the Thursday, being told that 48 hours later on the Saturday we'd be receiving 200 evacuees and the, and 800 would be going up to the city. And then literally halfway through the day as they were arriving, we kind of got told, no, it's flipping around, you're going to be taking 1,000 and there's a, there's a smaller number going up to the city. So, yeah, that was a pretty kind of dramatic thing and, you know, all the national news media, even international news media landing on our doorstep. Um, but it was a, an incredible privilege, really, to, to, in a small way, extend a really deep and genuine hospitality to some people who'd done it very tough. And some of them were from our community, to be honest. One, one of the, the guys who kind of gave me a hug off, off, um, off the boat lives on the same street as me. So it was definitely a really meaningful um, role. But it showed me that, that solidarity and getting so many text messages and calls from so many people um, just wanting to pitch in and wanting to help out. And obviously we saw the outpouring of financial kind of um, donations and, and ongoing care um, that obviously is still needed. I mean, it's <laughs> it's kind of crazy that we're already in another crisis that's kind of driven a whole bunch of what people are still going through from the bushfires out of their memory. But, yeah, it was, it was um, a real whirlwind, um, whirlwind kind of summer in that kind of space. And, yeah, I'll, you know, here we are couple of months later really and and you know not just the nation now but our whole world's in another state of flux and and uncertainty and and an emergency so So i i uh watched you on tv and i saw you making national headlines with the bushfire and the evacuation from malacuta i opened up my age and there you were on the front page of the age uh 
with a people's army that you've organised down here to deal with the coronavirus. Uh, you can't hug people getting off the boat like Malakuta anymore. There's no, it's a little different. You're right, yes. So tell yeah. us about uh, the people's army and what you've been organising, Sam. Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of um, something that came out of, again, those questions around what does solidarity, connect, connection, compassion for our neighbours look like? And we've got a population here of 160,000 people that stretch over quite a, a significant geographical area right around the curve of Port Phillip Bay. Um, and actually our, our Shire area has a higher than state average kind of population of vulnerable people um, in terms of elderly people, people with disabilities, lower socioeconomic kind of groups. Um, and so I was already thinking just in my own local neighbourhood and working with our local neighbourhood church here on how can we make sure that um, vulnerable people in our, my immediate vicinity were getting the care they need. And I saw a few other people doing that on Facebook and that just kind of triggered me to think, well, what would it look like? You know, there's, there's, there's the national and state government are leading the charge in terms of those higher level decisions from the top down you know, the guidelines on distancing, the guidelines on travel, you know, all those things that we've seen, obviously wrestling with the economic realities of joblessness with the levers they had, but really I didn't, wasn't seeing anything think about it from the bottom up and that corresponding need to mobilise a grassroots response. Um, and so I had a conversation with our CEO and also had a quick conversation with, with Greg Hunt, who's the Federal Health Minister and happens to be our uh, local MP as well, um, and they, and he, Greg really affirmed that one of the gaps they were seeing was that, that care for neighbour and that ability, you know, street by street for the nation to rally and fill the gaps that higher, you know, overarching levels of government just aren't um, placed to do in that same way. So, yeah, we developed this initiative where we mobilised, you know, over 100 of our Shire staff who um, hadn't been able to work in, you know, the sports facilities and the libraries. But we also put a call out inviting our whole community to join in with that and, and to become part of that. And really part of that was recognising that in a time where a lot of people were feeling a sense of fear and isolation and, and for some very practical reasons for that in terms of the nature of um, an epidemic, we needed to find a way to, to actually bring people together with a sense of solidarity, a sense of um, commitment and concern for each other um, that, that pulled us beyond some of the panic buying and kind of the hoarding type stuff that we saw, which I think was really an example of that individualist kind of lens on, on a moment of vulnerability. Um, so, yeah, we pulled that together and, and um, also flagged it with the Municipal Association of Victoria and The Age as well because we just couldn't see any other local government yet kind of doing a similar thing and we were really keen to share the model we developed, which is just simple. It's about basically us using the resources we have locally to identify all the vulnerable people that are out there and we're doing that with our local primary health network as well. So and is it getting... food, food packages? Is it Yeah, no... so, so we're sourcing supplies directly from the supply chains and then mobilising local people, whether they're our staff or volunteers, to be able to get that to, to the doors of people who are in need. Um, and, and part of that too is, is not just the practical getting the, the food to people and, you know, sanitation products, but it's also in an appropriate way having someone who's checking in on you and making sure you're okay um, as you're in your house or, or whatever. So it's having that, that local wave of, of connection still present and making people 
move into a positive emotional state when they realise they're part of something, they can be connected and they can do something practical. And how do you let vulnerable people know the options there? Is it uh, social media, a letterbox drop saying there's help? How how do people find out, Sam? Yeah, it's a whole range of things. Um, Obviously, the online things that you've already mentioned, we've also been working closely and seeking to support our local newspapers because they're in under the pump as much as as anyone around the nation so we've been putting stuff in print through through them um and also the great thing about working at that grassroots local level a lot of the shire ourselves and a lot of the community houses and community support um uh, not-for-profits that we've got at a local level already have those networks and connections with vulnerable people anyway so they can pick up the phone and you know and have a have a good old-fashioned kind of phone chain going where everyone's informing everyone else so and that's what we're trying to leverage is is local communities at their very best coming together to support one another so knowing your story as i do sam i want you to share it um your response in bushfires your response with the people's army uh does come from things you've been doing with the disadvantage you're only 31 but tell us a bit of your own journey your faith your values yeah i mean i guess i have a um strong belief and commitment to these things because I'm only in the position I am in now because I've been a, a recipient of um, the solidarity and the compassion and the, um, the, the generosity of others. So, um, yeah, I come from a working class background with a family that did it tough um, through my growing up years. And by the time I'd hit 20, I'd kind of experienced some of the challenges around family violence and, you know, being on Centrelink and, um, and kind of family breakdown stuff and mental health challenges personally out of that and kind of culminated um, with my family fully breaking apart and through a range of circumstances I ended up basically kind of homeless um, at around 20 years of age not in the sense that I was literally on the street down here on the peninsula but in the sense where I didn't have a long-term stable roof over my head and I began couch surfing basically um, and it was at that point in time that a local church community stepped in, not in a kind of official programmatised way, but just people from that community who knew me and my family because we'd been part of that church community over a number of years, um, had just kind of come around me and, and actually a senior pastor himself, you know, took a genuine interest and, and basically made sure I had a roof over my head and some other people made sure that eventually I got a rental property and and then I even ended up working for the church in a, in a ministry role um, after that. And that was really the, my story was um, both, you know, local community, local people rallying around me and then being given an opportunity to serve um, and people seeing a potential in me that I didn't see in myself when I was a, a skinny um, bloke kid in my late teens, just battling to kind of keep my head above water. Um, yeah. So, so. so a 20 homeless lost your family, had mental health problems. In 11 years, Mayor of Mornington Shire, um, a lot's happened in those 11 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, from from coming to faith around that time or in, in my teens, I guess I, all I ever really had as a desire was what's it look like to, to follow Jesus. And I think, yeah, as many others probably before me can attest, you never know where we're kind of trying to, kind of set your compass to that simple um, commitment will take you in life. So I think, um, yeah, sort of it's been a journey over those last 10 years of, 
a whole bunch of wonderful things unfolding in terms of really getting involved in grassroots community development. Um, my faith would use the word mission um, in my local community and, and beyond, um, working for a time with an organisation called Surrender that work nationally in, in kind of justice and encouraging um, people with a faith to engage in the real world around them in that. Um, and, and, and the, yeah, I guess it just kind of led to this sort of stuff happening, I guess. So. The the Tantai the estate where you've yeah. been running food programs, jigsaw in Mornington. Uh, mm. Well, nothing to do with council, your own ministry. Tell us a bit about that work. Yeah, so me, my wife, a number of friends and, and, and others have been living um, in this particular neighbourhood, which is one that's kind of been historically disadvantaged for, for decades and decades in the north end of the peninsula. Um, and and um, we joined in with um, a, a faith um, community that had just started called Jigsaw, and it was quite unique in that it was basically and has developed into something that is an integration of um, some form of a Christian faith community or church, but fully integrated into basically a community of people who are working for renewal and um, and development and and social transformation in our neighbourhood, um, and we engage with that in that not as professionals but as as people of of our neighbourhood as community members. And so we've done all sorts of things from social enterprise to um, lots of mentoring, um, food and and community meal initiatives, starting sporting teams. Um, neighbourhood gardening, all that kind of stuff. And ultimately that's how I got elected as a councillor and now the mayor is because, um, yeah, the, the, the community around me, I guess, saw and, and appreciated what I was doing at a local level and asked me to put my hand up um, to serve, you know, to take that step into representing them as a, as a leader, which was incredibly humbling and is still something that I find mind-blowing. Um, today. So. Well, it was one of the reasons yeah. I was uh, very happy to endorse you running for council yeah. because yeah. Uh, having I'm sure that been, helped a bit too. <laughs> uh, may have lost your votes actually, but anyway. <laughs> who knows? Uh, the, the truth is that the people who uh, construct policies and govern at the local level do it far better if they've had lived experience. Yeah, definitely. If they know actually how those policies can be life saving or if they're a waste of money or if they don't work and uh, I felt very confident that um, endorsing you, we would see the sorts of things that are now happening. Um, yeah. One of the things that uh, you said in your first interview uh, was, and I think you're quoting Hugh Mackay, the economic, social and environmental life of our nation is not driven from Canberra. It's driven from the way ordinary citizens choose to treat each other, choose to think and choose to live. You want to unpack that now? Yeah, I mean, it directly links to what we were just talking about, Tim, in the sense that often when I go out and speak in my community, I say, look, I'm a citizen first. I'm a human being at that ground level first and then a leader and a representative second. And, and I think um, you can, as you were saying, you can only make those, those decisions on behalf of the community if you've actually lived alongside the full diversity of people in local communities and you've understood the effect of systems currently and the need for change in the future. Um, and I think that is something that's critical. And um, to me, it goes a little bit to this question of, of trust between real people in, in real places in, at that local level 
and the institutions and leaders um, that are there to serve serve those real people and serve the common good of our communities. And I think um, I love that quote from Hugh Mackay because I think he's trying to pull the the thinking both of leaders and the whole community back to that ground up place based kind of thinking um, because we can only build rebuild the trust that I think we're missing at this point in um, in our society's history between our political leaders, for example, and the rest of the community before between you know big business and the community, even between church and the community, if if key leaders are, are living are living out what they're what they what they're wanting to talk about from the stage, if that um, if that makes sense. And I think people miss the power that's present in in local communities when people tr- truly do trust and believe, and when people come together truly in a collaborative and and kind of collective sense, there's incredible power in local communities to achieve the common good. And I, I love what Hugh McCoy was saying because I think that his kind of sentence captures, captures that as well. Um, yeah, one of the uh, things I think that we're starting to name is we've got a health crisis and that's what mm. uh, governments uh, and chief medical officers are focusing on. To deal with the health crisis, we've got to shut down a whole lot of business and economic activity. So we've got an economic crisis. That's the second one. The third one I hear you and Hugh Mackay addressing is we also have a social crisis. Uh, the, the very term social distancing is uh, a little bit wrong. It should be physical distancing and social closeness because we yeah. actually need to come together. Uh, yeah. In fact, solidarity might be the new selfishness. Uh, to to preserve the social inequalities. Is that what you see you're doing, addressing the social crisis? Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, I just recorded a video yesterday from my local community exactly this point, reminding people that it's about creating that that sort of safe physical distance, but actually we need each other more than ever, um, or at least we're re- realising we need each other more than ever in the middle of um, what we're going through from the local to the global level right now. And oh, I think... Um, yeah, and I mean, I mean, I think it's all interconnected, isn't it? The political things we're seeing, the economic things that we're seeing, and the social um, things that we're seeing, in the in the sense that we've built an economic system that tells people your success is based on you know you as an individual maximising your skills for income, um, but all of a sudden when a crisis hits and we can't just map a controlled trajectory around that, a whole bunch of people are out of work and all of a sudden they realise how reliant they are on the shared resources of food and water and and energy. And I think that's the same at the social level. People can think, well, I can create this bubble in my house and, 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 and um, you know, have what keeps me comfortable and, and I'm safe here and I, and I have what I need. But we know that we already had a mental health epidemic in this nation long before coronavirus hit in terms of, Stats like just on the peninsula, we've seen 25 to 30 percent of our young people reporting depression and anxiety um, over the last six years, and that's just that's massive. Um, And I think, yeah, it goes to the point that we need to come together. And maybe if there's one silver lining out of the 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 months we're going to go through, you know, to come, is that we'll realise how vulnerable we are without each other and how much. As, a, as, a, as human beings, we're created in a way where it's only when we come together that we can both overcome the biggest challenges and achieve the greatest true success um, yeah. in the common sense, I think. So, yeah, no, I think, I think this is um, 
shining a light on, on who we are individually and collectively at this point. So let me ask you personally, Sam, you're a, a father with young children. Yeah. You must also have fears and anxieties for your own family and for what uh, this virus means. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, it is. Um, it's obviously, yeah, quite difficult and uncertain, you know. Um, the choices we've made as a family living where we live and, and where we do, like we, we've never been able to afford our house, so we're in the same shoes as all the other renters who are wondering what happens with that. And, um, you know, I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old and um, apart from just the, the scariness of getting through each day when you're all confined to a house with kids that age, yeah, you kind of go, um, you know, the, the climate and environmental issues as well very much are on my mind going forward. What's the future for my children um, look like and I guess um, for me it's it's incredibly um, significant at a personal level to have have a faith um, in love as the ultimate triumph and for me that love is embodied in Jesus a person that I feel the presence of in my life and um, ultimately I feel like it's it's because of his presence that I've made it through the things I've made it through so far as crises and so I guess personally I'm leaning on that. I'm leaning on knowing that um, faith, hope and love has got me through um, through some moments of personal crisis and challenge um, and the things that have mattered most um, in life have still been there through that and on the other side of it. And so I guess I'm, I'm holding on to that for my family as well. And I think, you know, I was just the other day reading the parable, reflecting on a parable Jesus told of the weeds and the wheat and, and you know, that sense that he's promised that we'll be living through times where, where good and evil are kind of growing up together, where there's beautiful things and hopeful things and loving things happening, but there's painful things and unjust things and evil things happening at the same time. And so for me, I'm just using that as an encouragement that in the present, everything I can do to bring justice and to, to love and show compassion and, and to call people towards that matters now and, and, and forever and, and also holding on to that hope um, that we have in, in, in faith and, and that, um, that there'll come a time where a bunch of the painful things and the evil things will be done, um, you know, and I think that's, that's that kind of balance of the present and the future that, that we all exist in. Um, As I listen to you, Sam, I realise that... Uh Right through history, we haven't been able to choose the difficulties that we find ourselves no. in, but yeah. we have had, we do have freedom to select how we respond. Mm. And in choosing how to respond, uh, the work we do in crisis, the love we show to others, the uh, the choices that we actually make. It seems to me that uh, you're making a certain set of choices. You can't solve everything, but you're making choices that come out of your sense of faith, hope and love. Is that how you see it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, it's easy for us and probably even more so in developed countries where we have had the luxury of this to walk around think, believing in this myth that we are in control of what's going to happen. But I think this is showing us that, you know, every era of history has had things happening to human society that are, you know, existential and, 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 and kind of scary. And, and I think the, the challenge is that if people aren't given something positive to live out in the midst of that, even though we realise now we're not in control. And I think, so that's what I'm trying to do and trying to encourage 
everyone around me to do in any way I can at this time. Um, and, and I think we are seeing that in our local community in a bunch of ways. Yeah, we've seen, like everywhere else in the country, the worst behaviour in our supermarkets in some ways. But I think the vast majority of people are pulling together and, and I guess asking questions of what it does look like to pull together over this this time. So um, I think that's, you know, that's the encouragement. We don't, we don't need any superheroes, I think, at this point in time. We just need thousands and tens of thousands and millions of ordinary human beings who choose to live out um, of hope and love um, rather than out of fear and, and anxiety and, and um, you know, selfishness. So um, I think we'll see that. I hope we'll see that. I, I saw a, a meme, Sam, that said your grandparents were called to go to war. You're being called to sit on your couch <laughs> and do this. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's we sometimes can't frustrating. too much when you put it that way, can we? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the first thing is saying inside actually gives yeah. others a chance to live. And uh, mm. it's, it starts uh, very simply. But, Sam, just thank you so much for your leadership. Thank you for being vulnerable and uh, sharing your story. And, uh, all power to your arm as uh, the mayor of Mornington. Thanks very much, Tim. Thank you for listening to Hope in Crisis. We're a new podcast, so we would really appreciate it if you would share this with your friends and leave us a rating and review whilst making sure you're subscribed to receive our future episodes. That would be great. Be blessed and we'll be back soon with our next inspiring conversation.